Today's guest is dedicated to promoting social justice and advancing equity in Michigan. In her role as the president and CEO at the Michigan League for Public Policy, Monique Stanton is committed to addressing economic inequality, advancing racial equity, and promoting the health and well-being of Michiganders through public policy change. Systems change is not new to Monique. She's been active in advocacy efforts for most of her career. So let's dive in and learn why Monique feels she has landed her dream job and how she got there. The Speakeasy Podcast, real talk about leadership and sanity in the creative industry. I'm Karen Steffel. And I'm Jen Estel. Managing creativity and business, we probably have an opinion on that. No prohibitions. Clearly, we have cocktails. Hi, Monique. Great. Thanks for having me today. We're so happy you're here. Uh, mm-hmm. We we have this really fun mocktail. We're recording in the morning. It's a little it's a little rainy this morning. This uh, mocktail is called the Llama Palama, and it is green tea based. And it's got a simple syrup, lime juice, some sprigs of mint, and you shake and you pour it over ice and you add some tonic and you garnish either with lime or mint. Really that refreshing. Yeah. And I just it love sounds very drinks. summery. I love these drinks that have tea in them, that sort of tea with a surprise. It's yeah. Very, very good. It's tasty. Because, you know, whenever you're making tea, you just, you know, let the bag steep. It's, we, don't, we don't usually add extra, right? So this feels a little extra. All right. Well, Monique, welcome. Thank you again for joining us. Tell us a little bit about yourself um, and why you got into uh, public policy. Sure. So a little bit about myself. I'm born and raised in Michigan. I grew up uh, in Macomb County. I've lived in Detroit for almost the last 10 years. One year, I made a short trip for a year to St. Louis. My entire career really has been focused on uh, advancing equity and social justice initiatives. After I graduated from college, I did a year of volunteer service out in Portland, Oregon with homeless and LGBT youth. When I came back to Michigan, I started my career at Care of Southeastern Michigan, where I did a lot of community organizing work around child welfare issues. And uh, both the, the work in Portland and in, uh, in, in Warren, the south end of Warren, really showed how many, how many of our systems were real, really failing kids and families and individuals in our community, and that we needed strong public policy to really create good systems to care for people that were really in the most vulnerable situations in their lives. You know, after um, then I helped open up a family literacy center in Northwest Detroit in the Brightmore neighborhood, and then eventually I made my way back to CARE, where I was their de- uh, deputy director and eventually their president and CEO. And, and there we really worked on substance use disorder issues, behavioral health, trauma, family crisis. And last year, uh, actually in 2020, 2020 seemed to have flown by these last two years with the pandemic. I think that the two years really count as one, right? Yes, I think so. Uh I moved to St. Louis with my husband for a year and then we, so he could finish up some train, uh, training and then we came back to Michigan. And when I was coming back to Michigan, I knew I really wanted to make a shift from doing a lot of direct service type work into public policy. Because I recognize that there are so many gaps in our system. And if we can just create some stronger policies, the people that are most vulnerable in our community and our state will be better off. And so when the position opened up at the league, I couldn't have been more excited to be able to throw my hat in the ring and then eventually get the job. So you've long admired Gilda, and those are some really big shoes to fill. Tell me about that. Right. Yeah. Gilda has been a remarkable trailblazer with so many things. She's been the first uh, woman 
in different uh, elected official roles and her, and her time at the state legislature. And her work at the league really helped, ex- under her leadership, the league expanded. She's probably one of the most kind, compassionate, caring women that I've ever in, in, um, interacted with. And she's always been really dedicated to making strong, solid public policy changes and having at the forefront you know, our, our black and brown community members, people that are poor, people that have really been left left out of our system. And I, I look forward to continuing both her legacy and our 110, our legacy of 110 years. That's a really long time, 110 years mm-hmm. of fighting the good fight. So right. can you tell us a little bit more about maybe the, the league's history and what those 110 years have brought and how things have changed? So we, for the last 110 years, we have been really committed to our mission of addressing systematic inequities, advocating for the poor in Michigan, addressing racial disparity. And so over the years, our work has changed. So we've been involved with things like healthcare expansion, workers' rights, food access, environmental justice. Uh, so things like the Flint water crisis and now looking at sort of what's happening in Benton Harbor. To so many of the things that are coming up today, uh, COVID really has shown a light on so many of our inequities, whether it's housing, whether it's water access, whether it's um, child care. And so we really are at a moment right now to build on this 110 year, uh, years of work and continue to, to fight the good fight and really make some good, strong, systematic changes. And really, so, so many of the... Um issues you're talking about are intertwined for Everything families is, right? who are who are experiencing them. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the good fight, as Jen said. And mm-hmm. I have a question for you. How, and I know um, it's still fresh for you, but you've been working on these issues for all of your career. Mm-hmm. How, how do you navigate bringing people together for systems change and policy change when everything feels so polarized? Right, right. So right now we probably, it feels like we live in one of the most polarized times in our, in our nation's history and our state's history. And one of the things that we like to start with is, you know, what's, what's at the root of the problem and recognize that most people want what's best for Michigan, but we approach that in very different ways. Uh, so we start, we start from a place of positive good intent and, and we go from there. And we find things that maybe uh, resonate with people across the aisle. Childcare, that was something that passed last year in Michigan, where we created a $1.4 billion investment in childcare. A lot of the issues associated with childcare were uh, significant, like was shown as parents were at home working with their kids, homeschooling mm-hmm. their kids, or virtual schooling with their kids, or their daycare centers were closing. Uh, businesses, as they struggle with the worker shortage, recognize that childcare is an issue. And then parents have consistently known that this has been an issue for many, many, many years. And so yeah. with that, we saw some <laughs> significant bipartisan support, right? Yeah. Can't ask, a, especially a mom, uh, whether or not there's an issue with childcare. P- people know that. Yeah. yeah. The uh, childcare center that both Karen and I sent our children to. I sit on the board of directors there. And we currently have a 55 child wait list, which is larger than my than ever. People are so in need of childcare right now. And like you said, I think the pandemic has done such an excellent job of shining light on places that we were getting by and treading water, but we weren't really thriving. Mm-hmm. And that's just one example of it. So it's interesting to hear you right. talk about it. 
Right. And you know, I think some of the, the pieces that are unique about child care are that that it's two pieces of, of economic development. Number one, most workers, especially if they have young children, can't go to work if they don't have consistent, reliable child care. Number two, child care businesses are a small business like any other small business. And so they face some of the same types of struggles that you may face in your day-to-day job, we may face at the league, or employers as big as GM or as small as a mom-and-pop retail shop also uh, face an experience. When we talk about child care, we know that it's primarily staffed by women. It's often staffed by Black and brown women. The median rate of hourly rate of a child care worker is at roughly $11.13. So we're really paying very low wage is for something that I would consider skilled work. You know, that person that's taking care of your infant or your young child needs to know about social emotional health, brain development, safety. They have to have ongoing training. So this is something that that really is an important part of both the health and well-being of kids as well as our economy. And some of that major investment helped uh, address some of those those barriers and issues. Yeah, and that's just one layer of one issue. <laughs> right, right. We could spend hours just talking about child care, right? You know, the other right. thing, going back, going back to your other question about uh, contention in, in the environment right now and contention in politics. So, you know, Michigan just passed the Building Michigan Together plan, which is a $5 billion supplemental bill using some of the federal funding that came down through the American Rescue Plan. And this showed some really strong, positive movement forward, uh, bipartisan support to really address some of the significant inequities within the state of Michigan. So we're looking at updating uh, water infrastructure in Benton Harbor and in other communities throughout, throughout the state. We're talking about replacing lead service lines in areas that still have those. We know that impacts water quality, especially for young children. We don't want to see kids with lead poisoning. Uh, We've also put a significant amount of money into the Housing and Community Development Fund. We've talked about eviction diversion, so some things to really focus on stability for individuals and families. And then um, internet reliability is is a key issue. You know, I live in a city, but we were just starting this call talking about nervousness about uh, internet. We're lucky that it's fairly reliable, but in northern Michigan, it's not. And if you're working from home or you're doing virtual school or you want to connect with your family, you need reliable internet. Yeah, absolutely. And and internet should be a universal access as well. It shouldn't be a barrier to be able to get your school or your work done. Right. What do you think are some of Michigan's lowest hanging fruit, if there is any, in terms of where could, where are there opportunities to make big impact um, that hasn't really been captured yet? Right. So I think one of the biggest uh, places where we can make a, some significant impact in addressing low-wage workers or people with lower incomes is the earned income tax credit. Mm-hmm. This is the only tax proposal right now that truly does have bipartisan support and support from both sides of the aisle. So the earned income tax credit is a, a currently a federal, both a federal and state tax credit. It was a long history of uh, being initiated under Republican president's legislatures, supported by Democrat legislatures, or, the, or vice versa. So you've got a strong history of, of bipartisan support, starting under Ford and expanded under Reagan, Bush, and also Clinton. And so what the credit does is for individuals that have earned income, so they're working somewhere, whether it's um, as an employee or now even a a gig worker, 
uh, is eligible for a tax credit if they make under certain certain thresholds. In Michigan, unfortunately, back in um, it was initially enacted and expanded in Michigan to 20% of the federal level in 2006. In 2011, when we made some significant corporate tax cuts, we reduced that credit down to 6%, which is roughly $150 per family. So it's not that much. So right now, the governor has proposed actually uh, restoring it up to that 20% level. And Senator Wayne Schmidt, who's a Republican from Traverse City, has proposed uh, expanding it beyond that 20% uh, to actually 30%. And that would create some significant changes for Michigan families. And so we're looking at if it's restored, going up to about $500 per family. And if it goes up to that 30%, about $750 per family, which uh, doesn't sound like a lot of money, but families use those, use those dollars for things like transportation, utilities, childcare, other things to really make their, help them meet their basic needs and become a little bit more stable. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a lot, but it is a considerable amount for folks who are not, you know, flush with piles of savings, too. Right. So just a little bit extra can help you get a foothold and stabilize and start to, you know, grow everything in your in your life. And so this is it's great news to hear that there's both sides of the aisle excited about this. Yeah, right. And one of the things that I think is really important to know about, about the earned income tax credit is, is that people don't hold on to that money. They spend it. So it goes back out into the local economy pretty quickly. So it's a boom to small businesses as small businesses are still recovering from the pandemic. And so if it's restored to that or expanded to that uh, 30%, we're looking at an investment of about $460 million into local co- economies, which is a huge boom. Um, across the state of Michigan. And if you actually go to the league's uh, webpage, mlpp.org, you can click on your individual county and see how many people have historically taken up the credit and what that economic impact will be on the local level. Nice. That is nice. I know as Jen and I were preparing for our conversation with you, um, you know, equity is such at the core of everything that the league does. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how is... How is equity tied to economic development? Right. So we know historically there have been both federal and state policies that have left out black and brown communities. When you look at, for instance, how our GI Bill was spent after World War II or things like redlining, uh, we know that there has been historic uh, uh, historic legislation and rules that have kept black and brown people out from participating fully in the economy. And so we really focus on advancing public policy to allow everybody to more fully participate in the economy. So looking at things like the earned income tax credit, do we have adequate state revenue to support and and address some of these inequities and how we spend our money is all all the through lines through consistently what we do. You know, both myself and at the league, we like to recognize that the budget is really a document about our priorities and our values. Where we choose to spend our money, whether it's at an individual level or at the state level, demonstrates what we really value. And so we know we need to prioritize um, communities that have had historic disinvestment. Often it's been in cities. It's also in some of the poorest rural communities in Michigan. And we need to make some significant changes to address that. And Going back to that housing bill uh, that just passed, uh, or the big supplemental bill, you can you can see some ways that we've been able to address those inequities. Do you feel like the past couple of years have been 
chaotic but fruitful. I feel like the this this new bill that just passed and some of the work you're doing right now feels like we're really finally making some strides and getting some footholds footholds in progress. How 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 much work do you have to put in to get us to this point? Because I'm un, my guess is it's like an iceberg. You folks have been doing a lot, you and your right. peers, to get us this far. Right. So both the league and peers across the state, some of our national partners have been consistently advocating for these types of investments to make these changes. And you're right, it's it's just the tip of the iceberg. We talk about the American uh, Recovery Plan Act. We also have the Building Infrastructure Framework, uh, which is federal building uh, infrastructure funds that will be coming to the state to help uh, improve our infrastructure. We know in Michigan that our roads are terrible, our bridges are terrible, we need more rural broadband. We need all these different significant in, um, infrastructure investments. And between both uh, the building infrastructure plan and ARPA, we have a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to make some transformational changes. And what we need to do is really be hyper-focused on using these dollars wisely to address inequity. But it's, it's not the end of it. You know, we were really disappointed that Build Back Better didn't pass because we saw some big investments with childcare again, with potentially family leave, and, and we still need to keep lifting up those other issues. Do you find that the work... It's interesting to talk about the issues, and I think we could do that for hours. Can we talk for a moment about sort of the, the work and the personal level of you and your team and mm -hmm. does it take a toll to do this kind of work? Because there's, the problems are really big and they're really systemic and they're um, decades old, mm -hmm. hundreds of years old. So it, you're working on really big problems. How do you keep the energy to do that? How do you keep your fire lit? How does your team come and do it every day? Right. So we have a phenomenal team at the league with our partner organizations, both, both locally and at the national level. And I think for us, what's important to recognize is that change doesn't happen overnight. It is often incremental change. And so going back to childcare, we had worked on that in 10 years for 10 years and lots of little changes over those 10 year periods that culminated with 10 years of work and a massive investment. So it's important to recognize both the small steps along the way, as well as the big investments. Because sometimes, frankly, it's not always going to be a $1.4 billion investment. Sometimes that success is, you know, planning a few kernels and down the road, you've really had a positive opportunity to change somebody's mind or look at something in a different way. So it's, it's really recognizing both the big and small things. That has to, those wins have to fuel your fire though, too. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I mean, if we could have one of those types of wins every day, we'd be ecstatic about it. But uh, you've, you've got to recognize that, it, that, that it's both. And you know, part of what we do is we take a look at how we do our work. Are there ways that we can do it better? So we have been over the last few years very intentional about increasing our community engagement work. So we are very active in local community groups, both talking about the budget process, uh, how to be better advocates really demystifying how Lansing works because a lot of people don't understand uh, what that process looks like. So giving people and local groups the tools and power and resources that they need so they're able to become advocates uh, has been really meaningful. And, and for us, 
we are being more intentional about listening truly to communities. So community is lifting up what, what their local needs are. And, and we know uh, we're policy experts. And so we're not necessarily always the person on the, on the ground doing direct service work. And so we want to get input from the people that are closest to the problem and shaping our recommendations and, and policy work. Keep us motivated, I think. Yeah. And you've talked a lot about your your partners and you mentioned how great mm-hmm. the team is. And, and we've talked a lot about the what of the league, but mm-hmm. talk like gush a little bit about your team because there's the work that you do, but then you're you're also the leader. And so you have right. this, you have to cultivate this body of really smart and curious folks. So talk a little bit about your your team. Well, I would say our team is is explained it very well. I think we're, we've got a group of really brilliant experts on a variety of different issues. We have a group of people that are really committed to the work and doing the change. And so um, how we do the work and the work starts really with our, a lot of times our policy analysts. So they spend a lot of time researching, looking at data, looking at best practices, talking both to statewide groups, local groups, connecting to our community engagement team to really get a sense of of what's going on. And we use that to be able to issue policy papers. And that really, that policy papers, the research grounds our work in partnership with our community engagement team who really have the ear to the ground about what's happening in local groups. And so they spend a lot of time together and separately doing that work. And that feeds up into some of our government affairs staff, our media team, uh, our analysts that are out there directly either putting in cars to say, yes, we support this bill. No, we don't. We have an opportunity to testify to really shape some of that legislative piece. So it's it's a wonderful group of people that are, are very committed to that work. I always I always say I hire people that are smarter than me. Right. <laughs> well, like, everybody's smarter oh. than me. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't suggesting that that was true for you, but I'm just saying like, 100%. I, love, I love working with people that it's are nice. just so smart and passionate. It's nice to walk right. into a room and look around and see brilliance wherever you look. That's right. true. That is, that is a perfect way to put it. And everybody at, at the league has a role, whether it's the analyst, whether it's you know somebody that's an administrative support or somebody that's you know doing our bookkeeping or CFO and our boards. We each have a role. And without without all of those individuals working together, we wouldn't be able to produce the work that we do. So it's really important that we have a strong and, and cohesive team. So we've got about 21 people, so small but mighty. I'll be honest, both Karen and I have always been fans of the league. We just admire the work you do. We've always admired the people, so we were excited to get you on the podcast for sure. Well, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I do have one question for you. I, I know when we talked when we talked before the episode, you made a mention of you have a two-generational approach to your work, both child and adult, and I find that to be really meaningful and important. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. So there's a lot of focus, obviously, and justifiably so on children, especially young children in our community. But we can't really best support kids if we're not also talking about the adults in their lives. And so we need to look at both uh, are the the adults safe, secure, stable in order to help provide a strong um, home and safety net for their children. And And so we work with both. We recommend policy changes both for kids as well as adults and looking at that two-generational approach. And we know that, um, for instance, when you talk about wealth building, it's important for the family to be able to build wealth and that often transitions to to, to children as well. So uh, 
it is at the root and at the core of, of a lot of what we do. Yeah. And, and I mentioned early on that so much of this is intertwined. And when you're talking about multi-generational, whether that's poverty or whether that's food insecurity or what health norms look like in a family, you can support children all you want. But until you um, support the parents, then you can't make real change. That's one of the things that I truly love about the league and I think makes the league a special place is that we take a look at the whole person, whole community in our policy strategy development, as well as advocacy. And I think that helps us craft better policy because we know so if you have a parent, that parent or that person may really have, they have a young child, have a kid in school, they may have a criminal record, they may have health needs. And so we're taking a look at policy recommendations that take that whole person into account. So we're not necessarily having as many unintended negative consequences if you're only hyper-focused on, on one issue. And then you're, and, and making sure that you're not in crafting new policy, creating new gaps. Correct. Right. Gaps and barriers are always significant in our, in our, in our line of work. It honestly feels like a really big job and a really broad net for 21 people. You right. It is. Busy. It is. We are busy. <laughs> we are very busy. And so our analysts really have a policy focused area that they spend most of their time and resources on. And then our community engagement team is based in a couple specific cities. And then we do some work across the state. We're always looking to uh, expand our community engagement team. It's only a three person team. Uh, and Michigan's a big place, both population-wise as well as geography. So, so we know we need to expand that in the future. If you could give us a message and sort of some advice for some folks, not everybody can work at MLPP. How do we get involved? How do we, just regular residents, help fix our broken system? What can we do to support the work that you are trying to see happen? Right. That's a perfect question. And so I like to start with that people that make policy, whether state legislature or uh, state department, these are regular people doing the work. And so they are accessible. And so really trying to take the nervousness and fear maybe about reaching out to a legislator about an issue. So I say with, you know, sign up for the Michigan League's newsletter, you'll get a lot of updates as well as tools on how to become a better advocate. Sign up, find out first who your state senator, state local officials are, state rep is, county commissioner, city council member, and send an email, pick up a phone and call, or show up to either a virtual or in-person coffee hour. Uh, Sometimes that can feel a little uncomfortable, but again, these are regular people in your community, and they want to hear from their constituents. And it only sometimes takes, you know, if five or six people show up at a coffee hour and all have that same issue that raises that in terms of importance. And so a few people can have a pretty strong, powerful voice. And then if there's an issue that you're passionate about, maybe it's not the league, maybe maybe there's another uh, organization, reach out to those experts in that organization and they're always looking for people to get involved. That's fantastic. Thank you for summarizing so well. Um, I do subscribe to um, updates and and I find them so well written and so thorough and thoughtful and transparent, which Mm -hmm. I think is really, really helpful because you're advocating on behalf of everybody in Michigan. Right. Yeah. And then on Fridays at 11, another thing that we do is something called yays and nays. And it's really a recap of the legislative session uh, for the week. And so what's going on in Lansing and And I really do believe that knowledge is power. And the more information that you know and understand, it makes it much 
much easier, much more comfortable to either show up at a coffee hour, pick up the phone, start making those calls. And then once you're ready, you can always, uh, you know, put in a letter, a card, you can go to testify in Lansing. There's all different types of things that you you can do to get involved. You're making me feel like writing some emails and making some phone calls today. (laughs) Maybe that'll be on my afternoon. You recommend that. Right. And the other important so, thing is to vote vote in every election. Uh, so there's always the big elections, presidential election, governor election, but there are primaries to vote in, there are off-cycle elections, there are school board. All of those people have direct impact on the quality of life of you, your family, your kids. And so really being engaged in both the big elections as well as the local elections is really important. Mm-hmm. And I know so you wish important. you had a crystal ball this midterm year. Right. All of us wish we had one of those. I don't even think Nate Silver has one this year. <laughs> nope. So tell us, you know, there's the near-term things. You talked about the earned income tax credit. Um, so near-term, what's on your horizon? And long-term, what do you think will be on your horizon? So earned income tax credit, Other the other big thing that we're working on in the near-term right now is a big... Uh, uh, eviction bill. And so right now in Michigan, if you file, if your landlord files for an eviction, whether or not they actually go through the full proceedings, that shows up on your record. And so we're recommending and advocating for a um, eviction expungement for, for, for those records after a period of time. Because if, if you have an eviction, and it's not on your, it's not on a criminal record, it's on a record that you would pull if you're, if you're doing a rental check, uh, that can be held against you. Even if you were able to fix that, you didn't end up getting evicted, you paid your rent, you got some additional resources. Uh, when you go to look for a different place, that, that can be a huge barrier. And so we're really active in, in advocating for that. That's a bill that's got some bipartisan support. In the long term, we're taking a look at things this year uh, really around social determinants of health, improving our public health system, uh, access to health care, access to high quality health care, looking at things uh, related to schools and education and is our funding stream and funding system for our schools just and equitable? Frankly, it's not. So what can we do to make some improvements there? And then really that continued focus on child care, uh, you know, with that $1.4 billion investment, that was wonderful. It's still not enough. It's still not meeting the needs. And there's some real concerns that those investments could go away after 2024. So making them permanent is, is a big part of our advocacy as well. I guess all I can say is, please keep up the good work. Yes, we will. We will. And, and to our listeners, make sure that you're following uh, MLPP on social media and signing up for that newsletter and engaging and 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 realizing that the way that you participate with your either elected or appointed officials um, does have a direct impact on on your life and your community. So thank you so much, Monique, for joining us. Um, we really appreciate the efforts that you're taking at the League and, and guiding uh, that really smart body of 21 people <laughs> on all Great. on all Michiganders' behalf. I know. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very inspired. It, it's great to talk to you and both light a bit of a fire and know that there's somebody out there looking out for everyone's best interest and to try to make our world a better place. So thank you much for that. You're welcome. And thanks again for having me. Hey, Jen, what are we talking about next week? Oh, well, this is a good one. Boundaries come in many forms. Physical, mental, and emotional. 
off the top of my head. Yes, but the pandemic's kind of blurred the lines in many ways. Some good, some that are less good. Tune in next time as Jen and I dive in and explore how boundaries at work have shifted. Talk to you then. Cheers. Cheers.